When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Hey, did you know that the Phileas Club is financed entirely by its audience? It's true. People who wish to do so can go to patreon.com slash the Club and pledge a buck or two to help us produce the show. If you enjoy the show, then maybe go check it out. Again, that's patreon.com slash the Club. Hello everyone and welcome to the Phineas Club. This is episode 95 for September 2017. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Phileas Club. This is a show where we get people from different countries, different cultures, different backgrounds, uh, backgrounds, and we get together. We talk about the things that have been happening in the world and in our countries over the past month. My name is Patrick Beja, and today we are going to be talking about uh, mostly European stuff uh, because we have a bunch of Europeans on the show. We're going to be staying away from those crazy Americans and their crazy stories for, you know, at least one episode. Um, before I introduce my guests, though, I would encourage you to go and check out the previous episode we did, which is about something happening in the Americas, but the Southern Hemisphere. Uh, we detailed the situation in Venezuela with uh, Saul, who was born and raised in Venezuela, currently uh, left the country, has been living in Colombia. Colombia. And I'm sure many of you have heard that things are happening in Venezuela and uh, you're not quite exactly sure what is happening or what has led to this situation. Um, please go listen to that episode. I think it was uh, not thanks to me, but thanks to Saul, a really good uh, episode. And it really explained how things happen and how situations can go from uh, bad to worse slowly if you're not careful about stuff. So, well, I mean, yeah, you can be careful and still not be able to uh, change things. But so really, if you're interested in these kinds of things, I would encourage you to go check out that episode. Uh, it's number 94. It's called uh, What the Hell is Happening in Venezuela. So anyway, we are here to, to talk about European matters and European stuff, and I hope that you will enjoy that too. As I said, my name is Patrick Beja, I'm from France, and today we have uh, also from Europe, we have Matthias from Germany. How's it going, Matthias? 
you know, when I look out of my window right now, I see only gray fog and rain, which perfectly describes the mood over here right now. <laughs> but I'm so glad that you invited me to join you today so you can soften this hangover with stories from sunny Scotland and from beautiful France <laughs> where everything is peachy right now. Yeah, right? Yes, absolutely. Of course. Um, right. And as you hinted at, we also have Bruce from Scotland uh, on the show. How's it going, Bruce? Hi Patrick, I'm doing I'm doing well. Thanks. I just actually I just lifted the blind to look outside, and uh, it's it's quite grey, but it's not raining at the moment. So oh, that's so for basically once summer for Scotland <laughs> if it's not raining, right? It, it is. It, it is. It is. Um, yeah, we, we're all peachy here. Everything's going well. There's no political problems at all. So uh, I don't think <laughs> I'm sounds problem. perfect. Let's end the show on this note. Yes. <laughs> all right. Let's, let's, that's it. Thanks everyone. Let's all for have a beer. We can play some awesome. games. You know. Good idea. <laughs> Um, I will, okay, I, I, I don't want to talk about this very long, but I will mention something about uh, our friends across the Atlantic. And I think it's a, 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 a disease, a sickness that is gaining the entire world. And I think one of the issues that we're having is that we can't disagree a little. You know, we've all been hearing about that kneeling during the anthem for uh, the 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 the. NFL and and the Trump pouring oil on the fire and all of this basically this this issue and it made me realize I understand the social implications and all of this behind it and and the meanings that all of this entails but I really think that one of the issues we're having now is that when we disagree and it's kind of becoming the same everywhere but when we disagree we disagree as if our life was ending, you know? You can't think, well, I don't really think that's cool. Although maybe I think normal people think like that, but whenever you see anything, it's like any situation has to uh, mean life or death, and it has to be the most outrageous outrage you've ever seen for anything, you know, be it emails or tax returns or kneeling or uh, anything that has to become a, a controversy. So I wanted to mention this because I'm failing to understand why the situations have become so dire everywhere. And I think this is part of it. The, 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 the fact that outrage is always at 11. People don't have the uh, perspective to think, well, this is not great, but I wouldn't go to war over it. It feels like everyone would go to war over everything. And sometimes I'm sure, you know, outrage is, is warranted. But when it's always outrage at 11, then it feels like you can't even have any discussion about anything. So anyway, that was my two cents about that topic. And I'm sure we'll get back to it fairly soon. I, I did have a thought a few weeks ago. I thought we should establish like a, a grading, a scale of outrage, like to force people to realize how uh, angry they should be about a specific thing. Like, you know, it, 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 a, a scale of outrage from one to 10, 10 being thermal nuclear war and one being like a mosquito <laughs> that you have to swat. And and you have to grade something that angers you on that scale to force people to realize that not everything is thermonuclear nuclear war, right? Like, even if you're very, very angry about people kneeling during an anthem, you're probably going to grade it like, 
I'm guessing like six, if you're being realistic, like it's never going to be thermonuclear war, right? It's not you have to send your children to die in Vietnam. That has to be more outrageous or, or you know, frustrating or, or bad. So anyway, that just... Yeah, but if you're talking is. about Trump, he's always trying to uh, dial that up at 11. I mean, if you're talking about thermonuclear war, he's trying to get that over Twitter. So we are at 11 already, you know? Well, so I think a lot of people realize that that is not, uh, you know, that's Trump being Trump, even in his camp. And if we talk about uh, other things, politicians often try to inflate the issues. I would agree that they try to do that more on the right than on the left, but on the left also. And that's the case in, in many countries. We have extremes, as we'll be talking about very soon. Uh, we have extremes in in our countries as well. And they always try to make it seem like the issue they're talking about, like we had uh, issues of gay marriage a few years ago in France. And all of a sudden, gay marriage was the, the worst thing anyone could think about for a certain portion of the fundamentalist right, which had never existed before. It was a small portion, but it still was a, a, a portion. And then they turned into uh, anti-artificial uh, insemination. I don't know if that's how you um, how you call it in, in English, but uh, in vitro fertilization for lesbian couples. And it's currently not uh, legal in France. And all of a sudden, they are saying that this is the end of the world if you start doing in vitro fertilization when they never had a problem with it when it was for infertile uh, heterosexual couples. And they're trumping it up. Like when they talk about it, they're like, oh, and then you start choosing your children and it's not natural and like a whole bunch of bullshit I'm not going to go into. But um, so anyway, I just wanted to point out that outrage is great, but maybe when you're always outraged about everything, you lose perspective. And I feel like one of the issues we have is that we're always outraged about everything. I think that the, the effect you're looking at there is the slippery slope um, fallacy where people will see something and think, well, this is the first step into oblivion. You know, if, uh, if, 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 if gay people can get married, then what's next? We're going to be marrying dogs. You know, it, it's, it's, it just seems to be something that happens. People will always look at the worst situation for, a, you know, what is a relatively minor thing that doesn't affect them. And, and mm. there's always this slippery slope into oblivion, you know, that, that this is going to lead to. And it never does. It never does. Uh, well, it doesn't. It's just an in instrument for the debate. Yeah, yes. no, I agree. I, I will say something very controversial, though. I, I just throwing it out there. Maybe that also. I mean, we're talking about leftist themes here, which I think are very important, and I subscribe to. But I will also say, maybe, just just maybe, it's not thermonuclear war if someone is a little racist and <laughs> i hope that is understood in the context of that you know uh, uh discussion yeah. maybe we shouldn't go crazy if someone has old-fashioned ideas that are gonna you know take time to fade away anyway and they're not going to all of a sudden 50 years old 
become someone different. We should point it out. We should say, you know, I don't think this is cool. We should absolutely, you know, not accept racism, but maybe not start a, a, a giant, I don't know, demonstration in Twitter march because someone says at some point, you know, I, I'm not super cool with gay people kissing in front of me. Yeah. And I disagree with that sentiment. I My initial reaction would be, dude, you're homophobic. That's not okay. Just go back in your hole. What are you doing? But I'm wondering, seeing what's happening everywhere, I'm wondering if the the, the cause for it isn't the always to 11 outrage because we have become maybe oh. so comfortable in our lives because we have everything we could wish for on our, you know, pyramid of needs. Like we have shelter, we have food, we have everything. So the quote unquote, and again, please take this into the context, the quote unquote, small things that it inconvenience us, which is not, you know, people hanging gays for being gays. It's like saying, you know, that makes me uncomfortable. I, I don't want to make a cake for a gay marriage. And I understand the social implications. I'm saying this is not cool and it shouldn't be allowed. But if we raise a political campaign around it, instead of letting time do its thing, we're stoking the flames, the, the, the looking at the situation. I'm wondering if this increased division that we're seeing isn't helped by our constant outraged And if we, if we want to achieve more, if the ultimate goal is to achieve our equality dreams, maybe we should let it go a little bit, you know? Maybe we should think, all right, things are moving in the right direction everywhere. And someone who has been somewhat, you know, homophobic because that's the way society has been for a long time or a little bit racist because that's the way society has been for a long time maybe say that's not cool and maybe let it slide a little bit, you know? I don't know. I, I mean, I don't even know if this makes sense, but I can't understand why we're being so so uh, pitted against one another all the time about everything. And when I saw that kneeling thing in the US, I was like, I get the whole, like, the whole underlying issues but if you manage to make kneeling into a country breaking issue maybe there's another problem then mm. you know does it make sense or not yeah but that is a bad example because the kneeling is an instrument for trump to uh, enrage the, his followers yeah. and create an issue that is a non-issue that's i mean that's his that's his method I, and I think that's why it's a bad example in mm. this case. I, I, I think you're making a lot of sense, and yeah, maybe that's not the best example, although part of me thinks maybe it is, because it isn't uh, It isn't a big thing, but it's been blown into a massive thing for, for the wrong reason. But interesting what you're saying, Patrick, about um, people, uh, you know, letting things go. Uh, coming from where I come from, I, I've got friends and family who... You know, they are, and it, it sounds funny to say this, but they are a little bit racist and, and on very, you know, different different levels of the scale. And it's impossible for me to, I'm not going to 
I'm not going to write them out of my life completely because they have slightly different views. We've got to sort of work on and work with them to 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 change them you can't i can't get completely outraged every time they say something that you know if they said that on national tv they would probably be get probably get destroyed for life you know mm. never have a career and anything so uh, i i think you're right there is an outrage there is an outrage culture where somebody will say something and um, or do something and um and and what we need to do is say hold on you know we're all coming from different places and it's almost like we're complicated beings it's it's a strange thing you know um we can't all be black and white uh, you know there are shades of gray and that works for race that works for gender it works for sexuality it works for nationality um and 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 i think the problem does come and this is it does come with the kneeling thing when people take extreme views i've said it before and i'll say it again you know if if you are overly extreme in your views it's time to um uh, if you have red lines that you refuse to cross it's time to actually look step back and and think well you know examine them well why am i like this mm. it may be they're justified but i bet you find 99 percent of the time there's probably a little leeway uh, at some point yeah. um, so I, I agree with you i think you make a lot of sense with that and it's it's interesting because i look like i said i look at my friends and family and i say i put up with them you know there there are people out there who are racist and homophobic in my life that that i can't just say you know well i'm never going to speak to you again because you hold these views in this this little area that might not be a bit in little area but it is in their lives yeah. and and i think it, it we're not saying we should accept everything and we should no, just no, no. let it slide and let it go right but no, although no, no. i might have said maybe we should let it slide earlier but uh, yeah there's a difference between saying hey that's not cool and launching into yeah. you know a never-ending tirade of outrage and and you know i i, I remember only a few years ago it a lot of people were saying were using the word gay for lame in gaming yeah. culture and that was in the 2000s and progressively it that went away because people were saying well you know gay is kind of an offensive term and maybe <coughs> sorry i'm nursing a cold and it's not <coughs> entirely gone i apologize um And we were saying, hey, maybe saying gay isn't cool. You know, not cool, bro. Just don't don't say that. But we wouldn't, mm -hmm. like, ban them from our friend list or, like, accuse them on Twitter or, you know. And that doesn't happen anymore, right? We, no, we it's don't, replaced we don't hear by something else. Gay, right? No? No, no. So but nowadays you hear uh, terms like, this is retarded or mm. you are a mongoloid or stuff like that as well, an insult in gaming culture. So we heard those before as well. I mean, retarded was a term before. It's just that gay specifically is not used anymore because, you know, being homosexual has become more and more accepted. It's not perfect yet. But uh, anyway, all right, we've, we've talked about it. I didn't want to make this into a long, uh, a long discussion, but I think it was, it, it's, it's interesting. And I hope people understand everything I'm saying in that context. And I'm just wondering how is the best way to achieve what we all actually want to achieve. Um, so... Anyway, um, all right, let's talk about our actual local th stories and things that have been happening uh, in our countries. And I guess I'm going to start with what's been happening in France. Um, 
And I mentioned last uh, episode or last regular episode that we were going to have uh, tax reform and labor laws uh, reform that are go that were going to happen in the month of September, and it was going to be a very interesting one because. Uh, first of all, President Macron has been falling in popularity at an <laughs> incredible rate. Like he's very unpopular right now, or he has very low approval ratings. Um, and the labor laws reforms are notoriously difficult to, to do in France. Um, and everyone was wondering what was going to happen when he was going to uh, try and implement those labor laws, uh, reformed labor laws in parliament, because uh, traditionally, again, uh, what happens that that is that the unions and the right and, uh, I'm sorry, the left and far left parties descend in the streets, do demonstrations, and sometimes uh, entirely block the country. And famously in 95, I believe, we had uh, the country entirely blocked for I don't know, three weeks, like it, it was impossible to drive in Paris because ev the streets were literally blocked and I couldn't go to university back then uh, from my home, which was maybe 30 minutes uh, walk to the university. I had to walk. I couldn't take, you know, the, the transportation wasn't working. Cars were everywhere because we didn't have public transportation thousands and tens of thousands of companies went under because they couldn't get their, uh, you know, uh, uh, merchandise and stuff like that. So we were, re and it happened again, not with the transportation thing, but in the 2000s, it's, it's, that is always a difficult thing. This time, uh, it didn't really happen. We had a couple of demonstrations, one from the unions, one from the far right, uh, I, again, I apologize, from the far left uh, movement, the Insoumis. And um, they, they both had like demonstrations that they said were very successful, but the scale was not one to block the country or even block the city for even a day. Um, and they didn't unite for some strange reasons. But the takeaway is that uh, the government actually negotiated with the unions very heavily and got enough of them on board uh, with the reforms. I'm not going to go into the details of the reforms, but uh, they got enough of, on, of them on board to make those demonstrations not so powerful. So the labor laws have been enacted and uh, they're going to go into effect in, in the coming months. And uh, so we had a, a significant labor laws reform, which was unexpected. And uh, the next one on the docket is the, the tax laws that I did mention last time as well. So we have, as I said, a fortune tax where you get the income tax, of course, from when you get income. And then if you have over, I believe it's a million euros of net worth, you have to pay an additional tax every year on that uh, net worth, which is a French-only uh, tax. I, I think everyone in the world is looking at it and going, huh? And uh, the interesting thing is that essentially the government has suppressed it, that uh, uh, fortune tax, which 
everyone in the country was agreeing that it was most more symbolic than actually effective. And it was counter-effective because it meant some people would want to leave the country because of that. But they have suppressed it except for real estate. Uh, that still happens because I think they want people to not take their money in real estate and rather invest it. And also they want real estate to be uh, put to work kind of and rented out because we have a uh, housing problem in Paris, especially. Uh, but the the reaction I'm seeing from the far left is really interesting because they're being very hyperbolic as they usually are. Basically, the way they're tweeting about it is, well, the the real estate is still taxed, but the things like uh, uh, gold how do you call them, like, not nuggets, but gold plates, uh, gold, like gold in general, and yachts and things like that aren't taxed anymore. Is that the kind of country you want to live in? Is that the kind of world you want to live in? Like, yachts aren't taxed and speed cars aren't taxed. And, and what's interesting is that they entirely fail to see that, of course, they are taxed via income tax. They're just not taxed a second time via the fortune tax anymore. But that does not enter their realm of consciousness at all. And, and this is specifically for the very active militant far left, which is, you know, in many regards, I, I compare it to the most uh, active populist uh, uh parties in the in Europe and even in the US and they take very much issue to that. I think some of them might be listening to this show and think, "Ah, oh, don't compare us to this or that," but the the activism that they have is a little it is a little bit uh, scary. And I've I have only gotten when I was discussing things in the um in the elections, I've gotten these kinds of reactions from that side, only a little bit from the far right. But from that side, like people were very angry at me and like bombarding me with the kind of uh, messages that you would expect from militant political activists. And thankfully, they represent probably just about 10% of the country because they went so far in the on the left that even those that were a little bit sympathetic to their cause are thinking, wow, all right, maybe that's not for me. Um, so for now, they're kind of uh, isolated and they've isolated themselves from the unions as well. Um, but I don't know what's going to happen in the future, especially if Macron fails, which is not impossible. Um, but um, yeah, so that's the 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 climate in the country right now there's distrust of the government but at the same time it's kind of we know we need to do things to make things better and we've tried a lot and nothing has worked so we're going back to the center kind of and uh and that little uh group on the left which is vociferating very actively and on the right by the way um the Front National, which was rising in the election, uh, is kind of disintegrating. Well, not dis disintegrating, but uh, splitting. Because Marine Le Pen, which her with her disastrous uh, first debate, uh, has lost her uh, 
all-encompassing power on the Front National, and part of the, the party has split into another party. So we have yet to see how it's going to play out in the future. It's possible the Front National will remain very strong, but it's looking like that party, the, the, the far right is fractured now. And to me, it is because they didn't achieve the uh, scores they were hoping for in the uh, election, and that was disappointing to them. And so it, it created uh, disillusionment within the party. So I, I, I'm still saying it was incredibly important to vote against the Front National in the uh, election, which meant voting for Macron. And there was a huge debate of people who didn't want to vote for Macron because they thought he was too, too right-wing. Uh, so anyway, that, that's an, a, a different discussion. But uh, yeah, so that's what's happening in France. And uh, I'm not sure what to think of it. Yeah. Um, so well, the, the only way for Macron was downward, wasn't it? I mean, he was kind of the same savior of France because he won against uh, Le Pen. He prevented Le Pen from be becoming president. And by comparison, now reality has hit. So the only way for him, for his uh, opinion polls were downward, weren't they? I would say so. But uh, the only way wasn't to go so far down. <laughs> you know, uh, I'm sure he, he couldn't maintain his high approval ratings. But... He has been going very low. So I, I, I mean, I don't know if he could have done anything to prevent it, given that, as you said, reality has set in. But he, like a lot of people, are not happy. Um, so yeah, Bruce, you you wanted to talk about Macron or? Uh, no, I was. I, you, you sort of covered that. It, all we've really heard over here is that his approval ratings have gone down a lot. Um, and and um it's it's kind of surprising uh it's it seems like this whole because he is he is kind of central it's centrist isn't he um did i get so, that wrong no that's the irony of it that for yeah. the the rest of the world he's very much a centrist uh, you yeah. know he's a social democrat and mm. if you listen to to france uh, french media and french uh uh you know political commentaries the debate is not is he a social democrat is is he you hear almost the same things that you hear about trump's tax reform you know right. like he's benefit, benefiting the rich and it's true his tax reforms are in effect going to benefit more the rich than the uh the, the poor but it's like, you know, the state of the country was taxing the rich more than we were in other countries. And his argument, it's almost trickle down economy, but not exactly. His argument is we need to keep the rich people in the country and we need to make them invest in the economy to make it more, um, you know, uh, uh, more effective and more uh, uh, to make it work more. And everyone agrees that France has been lagging in growth because our economy is not functioning as well as the other European countries. And, and so we agree on that, uh, on those symptoms. But then when you try to do what he's doing, which I, I'm honestly not a hundred percent sure it's going to work, but at, I think it's, it's something to try 
you get compared, you, the reactions you get are, oh, he's, you know, making, giving presents to his rich friends. That's, and, you know, yeah. and he's a capitalistic pig. Mm. Which... Yeah, that's it's it, it's very strange. Um, it it just it just feels like it it feels like you you can't you can't do anything uh, politically uh, these days uh, without getting some sort of I don't know. You have to be a completely left wing, uh, uh, you know, liberal libtard or whatever uh, for for people to to be looking at you and saying you're doing a good job it's it's difficult mm. to take a center line and to say right let's be sensible about this i don't know if if what macron's doing is sensible or if it's just uh, or, or something else but um well yeah it's uh, it just seems a bit weird yeah it's i mean i don't know either if if it's gonna work but we've yeah. tried a lot i mean the the left-wing people will say no we haven't tried everything we haven't tried doing a real left-wing yeah you know, policy, but yeah. I'm, I'm not going to get into that. Well, we could <laughs> discuss this for hours, but uh, <laughs> so um, talking about his approval ratings, one question, how did the people in France perceive his speech about the EU he held on Tuesday? Uh, the, the media was very positive. I haven't personally seen the speech, uh, but the media were very positive, um, which by the way, leads to the far left uh they've been peddling the idea that the media is all bought for and they are selling macron because it's all a conspiracy um which you know i kind of go but um yeah so the the speech itself was very well regarded i think uh, uh the the reality is the silent majority is kind of looking at everything uh with cautious, not even optimism, but cautiously looking at everything. And there were a couple of missteps um, in the summer that people were not happy about, but it could be easily reverted. You know, it's not like he's the, the devil incarnate now and no one likes him. If the economy takes off, uh, it, could, it could change. So, but the, the speech itself was positive. Um, all right, I, I really want to ask uh, Matthias about his, the perception of Macron in Germany. Should we wait for your section to do that? Or no, can we can I... do that because, okay. well, first of all, not a lot of people are talking about France right now for obvious reasons. Right. So uh, that's the first one. But basically, France is going through some reforms and stuff we did about 15 or 20 years ago. So labor and social reforms we had back then. So it isn't really a surprise for us also because uh, some of the politicians perceive France as negligent when it comes to finance and stuff like that. We are financially responsible. France isn't, you know. Mm. So that's the that's the, the sense some of the politicians, especially the conservative ones, have about France. So they uh, are just waiting for some reforms that will change all of that. But basically, since we went through the same thing, uh, a few years back, it's not that uh, special for us. We, 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 read it, we read about it and we hear about it and everything, but we just shrug it off like, yeah, well, we did the same. You know, the interesting thing is that we talk about Germany a lot and um, the the center and, and right wing say, well, look at Germany. They only have a very small amount of unemployment and their economy is soaring. We should be like them. And yeah. 
a lot of people cheating. That, well, exactly, because a lot of people then point out, uh, in, to be fair, in every um, uh, uh, sp- uh, part of the political spectrum, everyone then points out, yeah, but I mean, they have a lot of poor workers, they have a lot of um, retirees that are struggling. And, you know, so that is a, a huge problem. We're seeing the result of 15 years of liberalization in the European sense, meaning uh, going to the right. And it, it, as you said, it's kind of cheating because you have a lot of poor people that are masquerading as we're kind of working, but not really. Is that something that is accurate or... Well, first of all, uh, those reforms were actually uh, enacted under a social democratic uh, and Green Party government. So even though they were going on the political spectrum towards the right or the liberal middle or whatever you want to call it, uh, it was uh, actually leftist government that enacted them. So there's that. And uh, so we just aren't... to just to specify, in France, yes. social democrats are center right. For us, okay. you know, yeah, for yeah. the rest of the world, in- it's center left. But for us, we consider them center right. Just a note. Well, uh, on paper, the social democrats over here are center left. But in uh, reality, even, uh, since 1998, when this government, who the government who enacted those reforms came into power, you can actually say, well, they're center right mm-hmm. or, or somewhere in the middle. They are no longer a really left party uh, on, as they were um, enacted like uh, 100 and what 50 years ago or how old the party is but uh, to this day we still profit quote unquote from these reforms in terms of low unemployment numbers because basically what they're doing is cheating when it comes to the numbers so if you would actually do uh, real numbers uh, about unemployment it would be higher it wouldn't be as high as some of the other countries of course but uh, still, the numbers are artificially kept down for the sake of appearance. So, okay, I'll I'll ask you when you get to you because I want to ask you what you think of that of those policies uh, as they relate to you know unemployment and the economy for the country. But maybe that's a that's better discussed in the context of the elections. We'll talk about in a little bit. Um, all right, let's do a small detour uh, through Scotland mm. and what's happening there. Uh, <laughs> oh, the joy! That, yeah, that sounds enthusiastic. <laughs> that, that, it feels to me, and uh, I, I'd be interested to to, to hear what, if if anyone has a comment on this. But it feels to me like like the UK is just being pulled in 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 about a thousand different directions from 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 everywhere. Um, in up in Scotland, here we have our own Scottish uh, Parliament and, and Scottish government, which have limited powers. Uh, there's an argument over how much actual power they have. They have they, they can do certain things. They have control over the NHS in Scotland, which is different from um, down, in, uh, down in England and, and Wales. Uh, and they have various different you know, things going. And of course, the SNP is still in power here, even though uh, they lost quite a few seats in the last elections they still have a lot you know quite a hefty majority um and you would argue they they're not doing too badly um, it hurts me to say it because when they first came in power i thought it was going to be you know quite bad and my political views are quite different but it seems like um they're not doing too badly so the snp just to specify they uh the scottish national party 
I yes. just Googled Scottish that. National Party. Yeah, and they're, they're politically... They're politically... <laughs> this, this is the thing. They, they used to be... Um, they used to be thought of as quite uh, right-wing, as a nationalist party would be. Um, but Nicola Sturgeon, who is their, their leader now, has recently come out and said she would change the name of the party if she could because she doesn't feel like a nationalist party is what they are anymore. Mm. And and I think there's, I think there's some uh, credit to that. I don't think down in England... Uh, uh, and Wales, she gets a lot of credit for for what they're doing up here. I have to say, um, and this is you know I voted a, very firmly against ind- Scottish independence uh, a couple of years ago, uh, but that was before we knew about Brexit, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I would say they are. That you know they're right wing on some things and they're left on others. It's it, I wouldn't even call them centrist. They they have uh, some interesting things. I think there was a there's a thing called simple things like baby boxes. I don't I think it's something in Finland that happened. Yeah, yeah, uh, new, yeah. They they've been trialing that out, and I would say that's quite a left wing um, policy. But that's that's something that's happened recently. For um, those who don't know, the baby boxes are basically. They're a box that uh, every family gets when they get a baby. And in that box, you have uh, clothes and basically everything you need for your baby. The box even turns into a bed because there's a little mattress in yeah. it. And uh, it was started, I believe, after the war by Finland as a way to uh, reduce infant mortality. And it, was, it worked very, very well. And now it's sort of become an iconic uh, thing. You even have commercial companies that uh, sell baby boxes, like with Moomin characters and stuff like that. But it's, it's something that other countries are emulating as well. Yeah, that's something that's being rolled out here in Scotland and is quite popular. Um, but then, you know, they have... Uh, They have other 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 policies where they would want to uh, you know tax change tax rates uh, one way or the other um, tax. Uh, in fact, they are going more left. They, they want to tax the richer people more, etc. So, mm. so I guess that is a leftist uh, left left more left policy. And they're um, anti-immigration, I suppose. Uh, no, well, that's the thing. Oh. Um, <laughs> uh, so, the, where are they right wing? <laughs> Scotland are well this is this is the thing it's hmm. it's it's a very strange um setup I'm just as I'm talking now I'm trying to think of something right wing and and um the, the the perception in my head has always been that they have right wing policies but uh I think they've changed over the years um if you so look did now So they used to be kind of racist but well, now aren't or it's it's strange as Scottish nationalism is once you start looking into it is less about race in fact uh, when the Scottish independence vote happened uh, back in 2014 uh, it was it was very different from the Brexit vote because in Scotland you were allowed to vote as long as you lived in Scotland there was no checking of passports or where you were born or anything like that. Whereas Brexit vote, uh, Europeans uh, were not allowed to vote. You know, if you weren't British born or a British citizen, you couldn't vote. Whereas Scottish independence was completely the opposite. I just arrived a couple of years before from Zimbabwe. And yes, I'm a British national, but I was, you know, mostly English. 
and um, I was fully allowed to vote. There was no restriction whatsoever. The area I live in has got a lot of, um, it's got an army, couple of, it's got an army base and an RAF base, and all of the guys there were able to vote, uh, even though they were all technically English. You know, if you were, to, if you were to go down to it, so so, so you was, would be able to vote even if you were like, let's say, French or Chinese, or as long as you officially lived in Scotland, you would be allowed to vote. As long as you had a residence in Scotland, you were allowed to vote. Okay, and, that and is the Scottish, weird. It is, it is, and and the way the Scottish, the SNP, were selling it, um, and I respected it at the time. They were saying that okay, because there was this thing about well, what happens when Scotland gets independent? Who gets a, a Scottish passport if that happens? And what they said was well, uh, if you're living in the country on this date, which would have been I think it was March March eighteenth, two thousand and seventeen. Um, then you will get a Scottish passport. You'll be a Scottish citizen, and you know. So that what they basically were doing is saying that we're resetting everything, and this is mm. this is how we do it. We we're not going to look into your history or whatever. If you're living and contributing to the country, then then you will be Scottish. And um, and 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 even back then, I respected them doing that, and I think it's a it was a very good thing to do, although it possibly lost them the vote at the time. Um, that's really interesting where, it's it's yeah. it's such a different approach to nationalism which yeah. you're right nationalism you hear that word and you think basically nazis and national socialism yeah. you know or like populism and but that the, i'm failing to see any i i can see how it could become populist you know or yeah. easy arguments but it doesn't sound like something you have to entirely disagree with if you're you know a humanist or yeah yeah no no uh, nothing like that there was it, it was it was only when the brexit vote happened that i really sat back and looked at what what had happened in 2014 and thought wow it's a very different animal you know mm. like i've mentioned before in brexit Uh, I've got a friend who lived in the UK for 10 years, paid taxes for 10 years, and just because he's got an Italian passport uh, as opposed to a British one, um, he wasn't allowed to vote. Uh, and Which and I think that would seem like the, the sensible way of doing it to most people. It's, your, yeah. it's you Scottish people that are weird by your <laughs> tolerance and you know openness. <laughs> Well, you see, this is the thing. Um, yeah, and and Scotland, I think, is a lot. It's it's a lot more tolerant than than you would imagine. And we are very pro immigration here. Um, uh, we have uh, we recognise that some of the I would call them dirtiest jobs, hardest jobs. Uh, you know, are they're people from other countries who are willing to work and do the work that, that will come over. And, and that's very much recognized up here in Scotland. So, um, so it's not something that uh, they don't follow the, the nationalist, you know, overly nationalist policies that, that you would expect. Of course, there are going to be people in the extremes and, and there may even be responses to this uh, where people will come out and say, well, you know, there, there's certain things I've, I may or may not have picked up on, but um mm. But uh, I'd be interested to, uh, you know, I'd be interested to debate them and see what see what happens. Mm. Um, as far as the Brexit goes, uh, you know, that that's this whole Scottish politics thing at the moment. Yes, we've got things pulling left, right, and um, the the Scottish uh, Conservatives uh, and the Scottish Labour Party uh, have their differences from the UK uh, Conservatives and the UK Labour. Um, 
it, it was very interesting that Theresa May decided to uh, get into bed, as it were, with the DUP, which is the it's it's a Irish um, very right wing party, right? Uh, you know, very very right wing. There, Bart uh, talked about this a few episodes ago. Briefly, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so um, because they, you know, they 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 are right wing, they're anti gay marriage, anti everything. Whereas the Scottish Conservative leader here uh, is an openly gay woman. Um, mm. So you know, it was a <laughs> wait the SNP? No, the, the oh, Scottish the, oh, okay, Conservative okay. leader uh, Ruth Davidson. She's mm. she's openly gay, and uh, I think there was a lot of tension um, amongst that, and she lost a lot of credibility here in Scotland when that happened because she didn't come out and outright say, you know, that this is a bad thing. Um, and then there's uh, the the Labour Party in the UK, which is it feels very fractured too, and I think that's the only reason why Theresa May is sitting in still sitting in power at the moment. Because uh, you've got the Labour Party, which which became basically centre right through the through the Tony Blair years, um, they're meant to be left, and they're getting pulled quite far left by um, um, uh, what's his name, the leader of the Labour Party right now, um, uh, Jeremy Corbyn. Oh, Corbyn! Uh, I was going to say yeah. Corbyn, and I was afraid to sound like an idiot. <laughs> And I should never be afraid to sound like an idiot. That's what I do best. Damn it. Okay, sorry. <laughs> yeah, Jeremy Corbyn. He's he's pulling. The, he's trying to pull the party more left, mm. and uh, that's that's causing a lot of tension. But he has a lot of popular support uh, amongst the people, amongst the younger crowd. The only but, problem is so, at the moment. Yeah, go so, ahead. So what's what's happening with the Brexit in Scotland? Well, uh, like, it, 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 are you like? What the hell are we going to do now? Like, well, damn it, we didn't vote for independence two years ago. We should have. What's what's what are you going to do? I don't, I don't know. Um, there's there's any talk of a second Scottish referendum kind of got slapped down because where the Conservatives lost a lot in the rest of the UK in the, in the recent elections, they gained a lot here in Scotland. Um, and I think. Um, I'm not a political analyst, but from what from what I from what I've seen, it looks like the Scottish people didn't like Nicola Sturgeon a couple of months before the uh, election was called, saying that she would like a second referendum. And I think people came out and voted against. They all voted Tory, unfortunately. Tory is conservative, um, and uh, they got a few seats here in Scotland, which helped them. So. It kind of, I, I would say Scotland's split at the moment, and I would say it's a good 50-50 between people who want still want independence and people who don't. And there's people who've flipped both ways. I know I've, I would change my vote now if I had to. Um, so Scotland, it's a difficult one. Uh, it's a very difficult one. They, they want to stay in the EU, but they don't want to stay in the UK. Um, well, that seems like you would need independence for that. Yes. Uh, and then there's all sorts of issues around uh, how we would then have to apply to get into EU and yeah. how long that would take. So this was all this was all back from 2014. And, you know, what currency would we use? Uh, well, the cetera. euro. We're very welcoming. Just, you know, <laughs> it's fine. Would, it works. I would have liked the lira. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> just, you know, so, just just 
abandon your older brother did like those silly <laughs> british that that wanted to you didn't really want to leave like how was the uh, brexit vote in scotland um well it was uh, i think overwhelmingly in scotland brexit the people voted to stay right and the, so there you yeah. go you didn't want to leave <laughs> exactly <laughs> it's it was 60 something percent stay mm. yeah uh, uh matthias you wanted to say something yeah i just wanted to ask if uh If and if uh, it does, how does the Catalonia situation we currently have in Spain affect Scottish independence or the, the new thoughts about Scottish independence? Well, uh, the Scottish uh, government, the SNP, are very well. They're in, because they're in government. I call them the Scottish government. They they are very pro the Catalonia. You know, at least getting a vote, being able to vote. Um, I think. I think. And personally, I think it would be uh, would be quite bad if they didn't weren't allowed to um you know yeah, usually the fear is if you start out by giving one region the option yeah. to vote for independence everyone else will just follow like in france the basque i don't know if exactly. they still want, uh, exactly. independence and with the scottish and there are numerous other regions who want independence so that uh, is you know for me it's the beginning of Yeah. As as much as I would be, you know, it's it's different for Scotland because you are a different, you know, it's it's more of a independent portion of the UK. Mm. I mean, it's hard to justify. It's just mm. it, I, I would say, oh, it's a, it's different, and then someone could prove that it isn't in many ways. Yeah. But if you start giving regions from countries the the authority to go independent, it's like everything breaks down right you yeah. you have portions of many countries that want to go independent yeah uh, and and you, you know you're exactly right there and and that's why i think it's all a nonsense actually you know even even with if scotland were to leave and if that were a better situation for them to be in the eu and for uk to split up and um there were all talks of the uk going federal which which would have been interesting a couple of years ago but those don't seem to be spoken about anymore um you know there, there, there are situations where you think that that i'm a i'm very much a globalist um and i agree with you I'd, i think we need to come together more and stop relying on our um protecting our our, our differences I, I don't I don't think I think we need to celebrate them more yes but not um Yeah I no I see what I you mean you, you you know what I'm saying there Yeah It's yeah difficult. I think I think there is uh, it makes a lot especially in Europe I mean uh, it it for different regions it makes a lot of sense to you you can argue on the specifics like which countries should be included which shouldn't which is uh you know where at what point does it dilute uh the the strength of of a union but mm. i think we need even for economic reasons we need yeah. a, a larger market and the 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 cultural uh, aspect is important too and Yeah. The fact that we can travel easily has created a, a in in just you know thirty forty years a sense of unity that has never existed before in the region. And mm. if you want to prevent wars, which is I think something we all want, yeah. it's pretty clear that economic 
interdependency is a good idea to uh but well a a good example of that is i don't know if you've heard about the whole uh, bombardier um thing that's happening in the uk at the moment um Uh, that's kind of showing up bombardier a maker of airplanes they're a northern irish company um and uh they've recently been you know uh, with 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 all of brexit the background is with 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 brexit happening um the, the theresa may and the conservatives have been saying you know well we're going to be more of an outward looking co- uh, country we're going to be looking to america as, as major trade partners and everything and a bombardier who a northern irish company which is part of the uk have recently um oh been, they lost a contract with the u.s yeah they, they right. got they got slapped with a 220 tariff on on one of their uh, latest i think it was the c uh, one of the latest products there mm. uh boeing um there's basically a dis- dispute with boeing etc and previously when a similar thing has happened is the uk has eventually gone to the eu and said look you know america trying to strong arm us here um and the eu have said right okay well what we're going to do is if america wants to do this we are going to put tariffs on this and that and this and that and eventually they back down um right. but now we don't have that strength anymore we don't have that um the backing of the eu the economic backing uh you know the ultimate true reality is the uk is a small blip it's not economically it's not this big powerhouse that it used to be in in the years of the empire etc right well it's, uh, a, it's a big blip in in europe but on the world stage obviously if you don't have yeah. the eu backing you and that's why it's so frustrating those anti-eu talks because it's very easy to see how eu takes away stuff from yeah. your your local uh, uh ecosystem But no one ever points out the things that it brings. And that is a perfect example. The UK yeah. alone looks at Trump's, uh, Trump and says, uh, President Trump, that's not cool. And he's like, yeah, well, deal with it. Whereas if they could go to Big Mama EU and say, hey, he's being mean to me, then Big Mama EU could look at Trump and say, that's not nice, Donald. Yeah. And he would go like, oh, but I really want to. And then she would wag her finger and maybe they could come to an agreement. Yeah. And, and I think anyway. as much as I'd love to blame Trump on this, it's not him. It's actually Boeing who are, who are the ones who are pushing. No, of course, I'm, I'm saying Trump I, as I the know, president of the US. Mean, but, but, yeah. but no, it's, 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 it's one of those things that you sort of think, well, this is silly. And, and you know, I, I was I've eventually came around to thinking, well, let's give Brexit a chance. And uh I'm yet to see a positive news story come out any in any form yeah. uh, on, on what's happening here. And, and I've challenged people on Twitter, on Facebook, on, on any sort of uh, platform I've been on. So give me a positive story of how Brexit is going to, you know, how it's going to improve us. Um, and this is just a glaring example of how I think the British government over the past since the Brexit vote haven't been doing their job. They haven't been negotiating. They haven't been actually doing anything productive with mm. making Brexit a, a, a positive thing. All they've been doing is saying uh, they call people who moan about remaining Ramonas saying, well, Ramonas need to be more positive. <laughs> and, and we're sort of saying oh, we, we're trying to be, but you're not giving us anything. 
Um, yeah. And I'm a proud Ramona. You know, I, I want to stay in the EU. I want I want Europe to be a, a powerful place. Unfortunately, uh, I think unless something really drastic happens in the UK, that's, you know, it's the principle of it. The well, EU can't say, all right, you can stay because then it means anyone can have a referendum and say, oh, we want to leave yeah. and then it's not so bad. They have to stand on principle. And by the way, we're going to get to Germany in a second, but that also means, or that could have meant until that election, that France and Germany, which have always been the two very pro Uh, EU countries in the Germany, France. Basically, the UK has always been cock-blocking uh, France and Germany yeah. for expanding stuff. So now it means both countries, if they want to, can actually do stuff and expand uh, the EU, which is another reason for uh, the EU to stand strong on the, well, Brexit means Brexit. Goodbye. Yeah. Anyway. And I, th I think it's taken a few people by surprise that um, that 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 you know the EU was, are standing strong and and they're not they're not taking you know crap from nobody basically. Yeah. And one of those persons being surprised is Theresa May. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, she. Yeah. They they call her the Maybot. She's she just seems to have no personality it's i, I don't know <laughs> I, i haven't disliked a leader as much as i've disliked her in a long time so it's a it's mm. an interesting thing um but yeah right. you know I, i think as far as the brexit goes there's there seems to be more and more of this brexit effect i've been talking about where um and it's affecting everything in lives where it's there's almost a justification now for people to have views right-wing views um Uh, that they think are justified, you know, racism or ho racist and homophobic. It goes back to what we were saying at the beginning. And um, there's a lot more... What do you mean? How does the Brexit play into this? I think it justifies... Uh, I think people feel like they've... Um, it's become it's, more acceptable? or It's been... More, it's been People uh, look. Not everyone who voted for Brexit is a racist, and I think it's a very, very, very small minority of people who 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 are. But I think that they've been given a voice. They've been justified in their views that you know uh, uh, Jean Pierre needs to go home because he's not wanted here. You know, he's 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 a he's a Frenchman. He's a, he's a froggy. You know, he needs to go home because uh, the the Britain is for the British people, you know. And I'm uh, sure it's not the French people who get the the most of it. However, no, you know, <laughs> I, I was I, I chose a very safe target. Right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, there there were others I could have chosen, but I didn't want to I mm. think that but so um It worries me. It worries me that to see this empowerment and and it's a worldwide thing. If you look at what's happening with in America, and I know we don't want to talk about it a lot, but um, well, we did already, and I think the argument you're giving here is something that people might have thought when we spoke about this in the beginning, and would have said, yeah, yeah but if you don't denounce it, you you normalize it. Yeah. And I think the argument we were putting forward is maybe if you denounce it too strongly, you elicit a, a strong reaction against it as well you know it's like it's like vision says in uh, civil war in the marvel cinematic universe he <laughs> says uh we we there are more super powered people and that uh calls for challenge which breeds uh, conflict and catastrophe yeah. and maybe that's you know 
anyway, we 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 yeah. have to move on um, yeah. to to Germany. But so, it, it, last few words, Bruce. Uh, yeah, and and um, I, I just I worry I'm, I worry about the future. And and just recently, just on the TV this morning, there's an NHS crisis which is happening across the UK, and and you know that's that's quite close to my heart. And and um, I I worry about people about. Uh, the UK scaring away EU nationals who were helping uh, people. You know, they were helping the NHS prop itself up, and they were. And the the, the current government is just not helping. Uh, they're not. You know, they're not funding the right things, and it's. It just feels like. Uh, I don't know. We need a change in politics. I don't know what. I don't know how. Um. Yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> I think that's the feeling of many people. And yeah. Many people would agree on all sides of the spectrum, but no. Also, everyone would say, "But I'm not sure what." Which yeah, that, that that's the problem, isn't it? So yeah. Anyway. Uh, surely, uh, Matthias will say that everything is fine in Germany. Of course, everything is fine. I right. don't know what gave you the idea that there would, that this <laughs> wouldn't be fine. I mean. So tell no. us what happened. Uh, what were the recent elections and what happened in them? Yeah, I'll just start out with a quick explanation what we actually voted on, because unlike what some people might think, we didn't vote for Merkel to become chancellor last Sunday, uh, at least not directly. As a parliamentary democracy, we voted on our national parliament called the Bundestag. So every eligible voter had two votes. The first vote is for a direct candidate for your voting district, the one you live in, which is considered the less important of the two votes. And the other one, the more important vote, is the party vote. So uh, the result of the second vote leads to a proportional distribution of the seats within the parliament. And uh, to get into parliament, a party must either cross, cross a voting threshold of 5% or they need at least three of the direct votes to get into parliament. And after the distribution of the seats is determined, you can calculate how many votes you need for a majority and then... The party with the most votes, which is usually either the Social Democrats or the Conservatives, initiate coalition talks with prospective partners. So basically, you look at how many votes you need for a majority, and then you choose which party you have the most in common with or which might be the easiest to work with for you. And if you find someone to work with, you can then begin to form a government, starting with the election of the Chancellor by the Bundestag. So um, that's so just a second does it never happen that one party has the majority alone uh, it never happened on a national level and on a state level there have been uh, parties who got the majority on their own for, uh, for example bavaria was one of those countries who only was governed by one, one party for a very long time one of the states uh, and uh, but on a national level there never have been a one-party government there always have been Two or in the beginning, in the very first Bundestag, the one that was elected in 1949, I think there were 12 parties and I don't know how many were in the government, <laughs> but that doesn't really count because that was the first one yeah, with different electoral law and post-war mm. and all that. But there is, has always been a two-party <laughs> government uh, on a national level. So okay. That's the norm. So uh, what was the outcome of this election? Uh, Merkel CDU, the Conservative Party, is the one with the most votes, followed by the Social Democrats, the SPD. 
But both of these large parties, or as we call them, Volksparteien, lost a lot of the votes compared to the last election. And the party that managed to profit the most from this is the one everyone is talking about right now, the so-called uh, Alternative for Germany, Alternative for Deutschland, and the uh, short one is AFD. They managed to get into parliament this time and almost got 13% of the votes. The other smaller parties, meaning liberals, the Green Party, and the left also got in, but they only got between 9 and 11% each. So you might ask, why is this such a big deal so for us? Well, for 50, 57 years, we managed to keep extreme right parties out of our national parliament. And now a party which is riddled with racists, fascists and Nazis managed to get 13% and is now the third strongest party in this country, which is kind of a big deal for us, given our history. And some people listening might object to this characterization of the AFD, but I don't really care because if you're tribal... They are trying to label themselves as the right-wing conservative party. But if your leading party members are talking about shooting refugees at the border, if some of your candidates employ not only Nazi rhetoric, but similar orchestration in their public appearances, if members of your party want to put journalists against the wall and shoot them, if your party leader wants to dispose of German citizens in other countries, you are not a normal conservative party. And I don't care if you say that uh, those are just isolated cases. They're not isolated. They're normal for this party and are part of their working method. And if a party tolerates and even promotes these people, I don't care if you're a democratic party on paper, you're a fascist one in reality. And with the history of this country, as this is not normal and never should be normal. But uh, aside from this little fascist problem we have now, this election result uh, makes it also very difficult to form a new government because... Uh, even though everyone is saying Angela Merkel won the election, she really didn't win the election. Well, yes, on paper, her party is again the one with the most votes, and therefore she will be again elected the chancellor. But the conservatives, as well as the social democrats, lost a lot of votes compared to the last election, and she didn't get enough votes to easily form a new coalition. So, so how, what percentage does her par party have, and what percentage does the social democrats have? So her party has 29% or 27%, so 27%, and the Social Democrats have 20%. Uh, there's a little special construct because the conservative bloc is actually two parties. So uh, if you count them together, they have 27 and 6 together. So uh, it's a bit, little bit over 30%, but still uh, it's not so enough. So they're missing 17% to form a government, right? Right, right. And do they have people they can ally with? Yes, that's, that's what I was getting, getting to, mm. because uh, it, that's the, the, the part where it gets a little bit complicated for us, because um, Merkel's only options right now are either to continue the Grand Coalition, which would be a coalition between the Conservatives and the Social Democrats, and the same one we had twice in the last 12 years. But uh, most people don't really like the Grand Coalition, and it seems as one of the contributing factors for the rise of the AFD. And um, besides, that's not really an option, because immediately, immediately after the results of the elections were public, 
a lot of the high-ranking SPD politicians stated that the party will not be part of a new government. Instead, they announced they would move over into the opposition and they won't be available for coalition talks. Mm. So this only leaves Merkel with one other option, the so-called Jamaica coalition, which would be a coalition between the conservatives, the FDP, which are the liberals, and the Green Party. And just to explain this Jamaica term, it's not that we want to emulate our Dutch neighbors and legalize weed. It's called <laughs> Jamaica because these coalitions are usually nicknamed by the color because every party is associated with a certain color. So, for example, the conservatives are black, the social democrats are red, the green party is obviously green and so on. And in this case, the colors involved are black, green and yellow, which are the so ones Jamaica. in the Jamaican flag. Okay. Yeah. So if you hear those terms, it's always because of the colors of the parties. <laughs> not for the weed. No, um, not for the weed, unfortunately. <laughs> Although that might help in the aftermath. <laughs> but, <laughs> so do, but, is it likely it's going to happen or is it complicated? Uh, it's, it is complicated. Well, in theory, she doesn't even need a coalition. I mean, she could create a new government without any partner and could create a minority government such uh, sometimes this happens in the Scandinavian countries that you have a, a, a government that is tolerated by other parties and uh, they just negotiate all the time on a case-to-case -case basis. But mm. this is certainly not going to happen because there has never been such a solution since 1949 and there never will be in the foreseeable future. And before she would create a minority government, Merkel would seek a new election. But a uh, new election is something that everyone wants to prevent because everyone expects the AFD to get even more votes if we would hold a new election right now. So the only option is this Jamaica. And uh, even if this Jamaica negotiations would work out, so let's assume it would work out, it still poses a huge challenge because there are three, well, technically there are even four, different, very contradictory interest groups that need to come to a consensus. So there might be a lot of issues that might not be satisfactory addressed for some of the voters. And with so many people already up in arms about how the established parties, quote unquote, do not listen to them, the biggest challenge will be to openly and clearly communicate how the consensus is made. Otherwise, the results we just saw mean the rise of the radical parties and the radical positions will even be worse in four years. But already the liberals have stated that uh, they are not going to roll over easily, so to speak. They will make demands and if they are not met, they will just uh, not be in any government. Mm. So that's the situation we have right now. So, oh, go ahead, Bruce. I, I was just going to ask Matthias there if there's... In the in the UK, the the UKIP, the fascist party's got Nigel Farage, who's the figurehead, and in France, they've got Marie Le Pen, Marine Le Pen, sorry. And is there um is there a figurehead in Germany who's who's sort of leading the the fascist? Not party? there is not is one leader, but there are a few, like three or four. Okay. And uh, right after the election, they even started uh, to break apart because one okay. of these leaders just announced that she would leave the party and will yeah. uh, be in parliament without being in the, uh, as part of the AFD, but with as an independent uh, candidate. Oh, and, that's interesting. Uh, yeah, it's 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 uh, right now it's kind of a chaos because. Uh, 
this party has the problem that they don't have a lot of experienced politicians. Yeah. They're all most of them are new to politics or never have held any office. So nobody really knows what to expect from the new members of parliament from this party. But there is not one single head. There are a few that you regularly see, for example, on TV and in interviews, but there is not one leader. So it's not it's not like a populist movement that's been led by one person. It's a whole bunch of different people. Right. Um, I, I, f- I find that interesting that that somebody is able to get elected on a on a certain party ticket and then not sit in the seat in that party. It, I think in, in other countries there would have to be a by election for that sort of thing. I'm, I'm no, correct. if they have the vote, they uh, you can't take it away from them that easily. Right. So okay. You yeah. are in parliament. But if you cho- choose to leave the party and by that the faction you cre- the party creates within the parliament, you don't have a lot of options to do your daily work because most of the rights and the instruments you use on a day-to-day basis in parliament are tied to factions. So you need okay. a certain number of people to have certain rights. For example, if you want to introduce a new law or a draft for a law, you need so and so many people supporting it. And usually that's just a faction that gives this uh, your support. So if you are a single one, you can't a single member of parliament, you can't do anything. So she's basically going to have a lot of trouble doing anything. Yes, uh, but uh, now she's talking about creating her own new party. And by that, uh, her own faction. But she needs like, I think, 30 members or 32 members to join her to create that status. So now the question is, what will happen? Will the party, the AFD, split apart completely into two different new parties Mm. or in in the old party and the new party? Or uh, no one really knows because the uh, Bundestag hasn't uh, come together uh, in the new uh, constellation yet. They have 30 days after elections for the first uh, Mm. uh, session. Session. Thank you. It's worth so <laughs> for the first session. Yes. You 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 sounded a, a little bit emotional when you were describing the uh, the the results. Um, how has the country reacted? Is every because of course we have the the ghost of uh, you know World War Two and the Nazi Party. Uh, I think it's difficult for people to understand how heavily this has influenced the the mind of german people like there it's kind of like what happened in in uh japan it was both through education and cultural change and and history remembrance that people in those countries violently rejected violence kind of and you have the most number of of pacifists in uh germany and in japan now because of that history and i think Looking at it from here, I think I understand even more why that happened. I think it's a consequence of the war, but maybe also a consequence of people having seen the rise of those uh, parties and personalities having been struck in horror by what happened, and then those who survived being violently anti those things. So I'm wondering how it was, you know, uh, uh, how the country reacted on the day after. I'm sure it wasn't, you know, fun, but uh, no, what were the different everyone, reactions? 
everyone expected the AFT to get into parliament this time. So there was no doubt that they would get in. The only question was how many votes would they get in the end? And everyone was hoping, well, if they get like below 10%, that's around the same amount that the small parties usually get. Well, it's not good, but well, that's okay. We have to deal with that. But now they are the third strongest party. And if the SPD, the Social Democrats, would not go into opposition, but would become part of the government, the AFD would be the opposition leader because they are the strongest party within the opposition. That's, that's not really important on a day-to-day -day basis, aside from some of the uh, uh, rights you have and like uh, longer speaking time and stuff like that. But it is more of a symbol, you know, symbolic uh, position you get there. But uh, the whole thing about the AFD is it's both kind of a rise of the right wing and also kind of a protest thing. Because people that voted for the AFD are not just voting for them because of their program, but also because they wanted to protest the established party system and because they didn't feel like the other parties represented them anymore. Um, you know, so. that's that's something I want to, to expand on for a little bit, because obviously everyone will have seen the similarities between that vote and the Brexit vote and the Trump vote. And... To an extent, I think what happened in France as well, except our uh, opposition vote was split between the far right and the far left, the, the people I talked about earlier. Um, there's no doubt that they're not equivalent, but the, the people who were unhappy about the establishment, just some of them chose to vote um, for the Front National and others chose to vote for uh, Les Insoumis, le, le, that that far left party, um, but both were contestant contestary uh, <laughs> vote to contest the establishment. So that has happened in in many countries already. I think what strikes me here is that, as we mentioned earlier, Germany has a at least is always presented as a country that is successful economically you know there is a very strong uh, a very low unemployment rate and the economy is working and it's the leader in the eurozone basically because of the size and the power of its economy germany gets to make decisions on many of the things that happen in the in the in the eu and we'll touch on what that means for the eu in in a little bit but my what strikes me is Maybe, you know, in the UK, we could have said this is the issue. In the, in the US, we would have said, well, this and that are the issue. And in France, we could have said, well, the economy and this are the issue. In Germany, like, what does it mean that even if in Germany, where things are, quote unquote, good, this happens as well? And again, context, it's only 13% of the Bundestag, which is less than in, in the other elections we've mentioned. But why is this movement rising in Germany as well? Is, that, is, the, is it not just the economy that's an issue? What's, what's happening there? Well, first of all, you're right. It's kind of the same picture we have seen in the US with the Trump supporters or, for example, the Penn in France or in other European countries with the growing support of the right-wing parties, for example, Poland or Hungary. 
But, and in uh, Finland, I mean, we have them every. And well, in Scotland, you just mentioned Bruce as well. It's happening everywhere. Yeah, right. And yeah. but the voters of the AfD are often like middle-aged, middle-class people, and from the outside, those are the ones that have a good life, so to speak. So, uh, but for some reason, they feel left out or are afraid of social decline or feel like everybody else is getting something they don't. So basically, it's envy. And of course, there are all these foreigners, you know, that come into this country and they just want the free money while they are destroying our country with their weird <laughs> religion and stuff. It doesn't really make sense for that. But whether or not it's actually true, that doesn't matter neither for the AFD or their voters, because they don't really care about facts. They're just building on emotion. Yeah. And, and that's so, exactly the same again. It's the same yeah. thing. But the economy is good in Germany. Yes. And, yeah. and the, 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 part, the part is, even if you have problems and there are people who have problems, the social divide, as you said, are, is, is opening even wider. Yeah. But even if you are one of those people who are threatened by social decline, the AFD wouldn't be really your answer. There wouldn't be a solution because apart from their loud rhetoric, they don't have much to offer, especially in the areas that concern these peoples. There are numerous policy areas where the party doesn't even have a concept or if they have one, it will negatively affect the people who vote for them. For example, yeah. when it comes to Texas, but they don't seem to care. They still want to protest because they don't feel uh, represented or heard by the quote unquote traditional parties. And so that, it's, it's just just to tie this off. Uh, I don't want to negate the racist, fascist, whatever you want to call it, problem we have in Germany, because from the outside, everyone is saying, well, we are uh, we recovered from uh, national socialism and stuff and that, that's not really true. We have a lot of racists and fascists and Nazis run, running around here in the country. But, uh, and those people are the ones who are in the AFD and see their chance to get into power by using that party. But uh, uh, some of the voters are not interested in that specifically. They just want to make themselves heard. And for them, for some reason, this party is their outlet, even though it doesn't really make sense. It's interesting, Mattis, when you're talking about the AFD, it sounds a lot like UKIP, exactly what you were saying. It, it, it mirrors exactly what they were like. Uh, lots of rhetoric, no real policies. And um, they had about 13% of the 2015 vote. And um, now they're collapsing. Um, you know, it's so maybe there's hope there. Um, it may be that there needs to be a protest of this sort that kind of gets some some sort of traction and then people suddenly realize hold on you know going back to what patrick's saying we might be a bit racist but we're not complete fascists so let's 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 not pin our hopes on that party anymore i don't know um i'm trying to find a silver lining here but um uh, i don't i from what I've seen in the UK is that the, this massive right wing swing where people just vote for UKIP because they think it's, you know, it's a protest vote. And suddenly they realize, hold on, uh, UKIP's anti NHS. They want to privatize the NHS. That's not what we want, you know? Um, so uh, I don't, I don't know. Um, I'm hoping think- that it, 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 it's a, it's a, it's a necessary 
evil and it swings back for, for Germany. Um, I think I, I wonder if there isn't also a part of something that we mentioned on this show a, a good while ago, which is maybe this is instead of, you know, something more violent, like a revolution or people going down in the streets and and rioting. I mean, the the people you're talking about, Matthias, are, you know, middle-aged, middle-class people that wouldn't go down in the streets and, yeah. and start burning cars. But maybe the kind of frustration and outrage is expressed in that democratic way via a party that is basically a big middle finger to to everyone else and maybe that's the the uh, uh, the least bad thing we could hope for i mean we don't know yeah, but, it might lead to something worse in two five ten years but maybe it doesn't yeah but if you think that voting for someone who wants to shoot women and children who wants to put journalists against yeah. the wall and who wants to dispose of people in other countries if you think that that is the viable form of protest i have a problem with your protest yeah. because i don't want know, that That's, no i agree even, but i, I know think it's we get... just it's just the rhetoric they use and it's the scandal they want to produce to get into media and stuff i know that but if you think that this method of getting that if a result is viable That, that that's that's for me that's not acceptable for me but that's that's exactly what we were talking about with the brexit and with trump and with uh all of the extremist parties in that outrage rhetoric that we have experienced for the past few years and maybe decade maybe you know our reaction of you know ah, oh, this is unacceptable. And if you think that shooting women and children is acceptable, then I have a problem with you, what you're saying now. I don't think that they actually think shooting women and children is acceptable. And I don't know what those party leaders said, but I have, you know, it's like Trump or not exactly. It's maybe like Farage or, you know, those bombastic, Uh, populist personalities who say things and they don't really mean them because they don't mean anything and they don't have policies. And the people who vote for them, yes, a small minority might say, yes, shoot the journalists and actually think that you should, you know, put the journalists against a wall and, and shoot them in the head for real. But I think those are a, a very small, crazy minority. Most of the people, it's kind of understood that you don't actually mean that. And if you vote for them, you don't actually think that's going to happen. And maybe everyone's wrong. And down the line, it leads to a totalitarian regime. And, and you know, it's actually going to happen. But I do think, if I'm being 100% honest, I think that's not a realistic view of the world. And maybe your outrage that you're displaying now, Matthias, which... I understand and I display often maybe against our own desires we're being part of the problem because we shouldn't be shouting into the wind those things that antagonize the, those people. Maybe maybe we should say, you know, I don't know exactly what we should say, but something like, well, I think the people you're voting for are, you know, don't have good policies and they're not good people. And your way of expressing your frustration is not the right one. 
but maybe there is another one that, you know, that kind of more toned down. Because if you shout at someone, they're going to shout back, right? If, yeah, if but- you insult someone, they're going to insult you back. And I don't know where that line is, where if maybe when they actually start shooting people in the street, we might say, well, at that point, it's going to be too late. But maybe it's at that point that you should start claiming they're, they want to shoot people or they're shooting people in the street. Maybe it's not before. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I, I know that all of this isn't really what they mean, or maybe it isn't what they mean, because they use it, as I said, as a, a means to an end, to gain uh, media attention and stuff like that. I know that. The problem I have with it is that if you support this party and get them into a position where they can actually have political power like they do now, you 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 just normalize this kind of behavior. You yeah. give them the reward and tell them what you are doing yields results. And for me, it's, right. it's kind of like Karl Popper described the paradox of tolerance. Unlimited tolerance must lead to a disappearance of tolerance. No, I don't want to tolerate that behavior because in the end, if I tolerate that, well, it is just a small step to tolerate the next word. But thing. How, and how, so effective, and so how effective is that? behavior we've seen it happening in the uk we've all screamed at it we've seen it happening in the us we've screamed at it we've seen it happening in europe we've screamed at it It, it's not working screaming at it is not working it's not screaming at it but it's uh, not tolerating it not working with those people don't give them the opportunity and stuff like that they're still getting votes they're still being screamed at but as a voter being screamed at is not deterring them or i mean maybe it's deterring others and and they're not they would be getting more if we we if we weren't screaming but i i i don't think that's the case it screaming at them is not working well not screaming at them but giving them an alternative to the alternative of for germany maybe well the the, the, the uh, other parties are kind of or were kind of in a panic mode and tried everything to get these voters from uh, voting for the AFD and it's that vote for them. So if you are classic uh, SPD voter, they try to convince you, well, you always voted for social Democrats. Uh, maybe you should vote again for social Democrats and not v- uh, vote for the AFD because of protest. Yeah, but, but that, uh, that's exactly what they don't want to do. I think that's the panic mode was everyone is shifting to the right and catering to these people by uh, going more extreme on the refugee topic and other stuff. But that's not the solution, obviously. So why should I even the, go further and cater to them even more? That's the argument set, that, that, that people are giving against Macron in France. They're saying you're going more to the right and the left is going more to the right because essentially he co-opted the left and brought it to the center. So in mm. effect, he's going to the right. And what people on the far left are, are saying, and I don't know, maybe they have a point. They're saying, well, the more we do this, the more it strengthens the far right. And it's an ev- inevitable uh, uh, path that we're on. So we have to go back to more left, even though in France, we had been more left than everyone else in Europe for a long time. And we still are, I think. But, uh, but yeah, it's the same we, argument. It, it, Bruce, the you wanted to say something? I'll, I'll go back to Matthias. I was just going to say, Matthias, you, you're very, um, you obviously know the political landscape and you're, you're, you're clued up on, on politics and what 
what each party stands for is how common is that in germany is that something that you know somebody who's voting for the for the afd would would they know exactly what they're what they're standing for or would they just be voting for maybe a sound clip they heard here or something they heard there you know these damn refugees yeah they're going to vote for the afd because of these damn refugees and they don't actually know about uh, the the issues of you know wanting to shoot people etc etc or or, is, or do they fully know i i don't know is is that something well, I think they are aware of those sound bits, but I don't think the the average voter on the street actually knows all the party programs or votes for a specific party. There are certain people who have special issues they want to see, see taken care of, so they vote for a certain party because of that. But I think for the most part, it's more an impulsive decision or a traditional decision. For example, my fa if someone from the quote-unquote working class uh, has always mm. voted for the Social Democrats, they will now vote for the Social Democrats because that's the way we have always done it. Yeah. Or certain conservative uh, states always vote for the CDU or the CSU, depending on which uh, state you live. So I think most people who voted for the AFD didn't uh, fully think through what this vote would imply. Yeah. But it's for them, it's the impulsive decision uh, or the, 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 the means to an end to show their protest. But yeah. you know, I think... Know, I think I think they would tell you, as they did for the Brexit and for the U.S. election, well, politicians lie all the time. How is it different from these guys that we don't really trust to be saying the, the truth? I mean, we don't trust everything they're saying. It doesn't matter. And and you wouldn't trust everything your your party, your you know traditional acceptable party is saying anyway. So we don't believe that they're going to shoot journalists that that's just rhetoric just like you're we're going to bring unemployment down and we're going to bring jobs to everyone and everyone the taxes will be lower and you know that's bullshit as well so yes it is but for me I, I at think, least i can say i just don't want to take the chance in this case yeah that's but all, for, yeah. for me personally that's yeah. all the answer i can give you right now no, I, I mean I we, agree we're not going to solve this whole thing here of course but no. you know, that's just what my personal opinion i know some of the people listening will disagree with me and if there are voters who voted for the afd they might shout at me in the comments and i'm perfectly fine with that i just <laughs> wanted to express the issue we have and why everyone is talking about this and i, I know I it's high it's 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 highly colored and all and polarizing but uh, that's just uh, my opinion of this whole matter i, th I think Matthias, when you look at it the, the, from what you're saying the afd are something you want to shout against but it might be that the average person who voted for them is not somebody I think what Patrick is saying is that there might be not somebody you want to shout at there it might be they don't know they're voting for different reasons than that and they might not see the Nazi issue as as they might not even see the Nazi issue there. They might yeah, just think, well... if they don't care about facts, what makes you think that my well, facts will actually convince them to change? That. That's, that's <laughs> the exact issue we've had with Brexit, with Trump, and with many of the debates we've had in France. It's exactly like, word for word, the exact same problems. So, I, I, you know, I think ultimately, one of the things we're missing in all of these debates is getting people to see the benefits of the system the way it currently is. 
because <sighs> it's so easy to complain about everything that people think everything is shit. But yeah. really, everything is so much better than it has ever been in every way. And people don't believe that. It's crazy. And but but that is, I think, something we could with a little bit of uh you know a, a little bit of a, not education but a little bit more uh, a considerate discussions show and i think it would be the p political personalities uh, uh uh role to show of course if you look at things from one year to the next you're only going to see the bad things but if you look at things from one decade or two decades ago usually things are better and in many different areas, not in every area, maybe there's less employment, maybe there's, you know, but overall our systems, overarching systems work. You know, yeah. we have, if you look across decades, it, it's, we have less uh, illness, less infant mortality, more education, less poverty, like everything is better. And I think people, either ignore it or don't see it or untold this. And and the people come to uh, places of frustration and complaints because they think that things are worse. And maybe for some people individually, they are. And certainly, I mean, not maybe, certainly for individual people, they are. But not in the sense that people who go vote for those opposition you know fu parties believe so maybe there's something there i don't know how you're, to actually make that happen you're right about that but uh, the actual issue is there are so many topics and issues we actually have to deal with which are important and not, not for just now but also for the future and we're keeping up with this sorry to say that shit show we have with some nationalist bullshit I'm sorry, but I don't know how to phrase that differently. I mean, no, okay. we, have, we have so many social issues and healthcare, and I don't know what else. Environmental. Yeah. We are stuck yeah. with this. You know? All right. So we're, okay. we're not going to solve it, obviously. I no. want to very quickly, before we close the show, I do want to ask uh, how this affects the desires of European expansion and construction uh, that Macron has been expressing. And is Mer Merkel... I'm, I'm sorry, uh, is Merkel going to be hampered by this new political landscape? Because I imagine the uh, the, the far right is not super happy with the idea of, of giving more power to the EU. No, they're not. But again, they have 13%, so they're in no position to actually uh, pre uh, prevent her from doing anything. So that's the, uh, a good point, a plus for this but uh, at first glance since she still will be the next chancellor some might think that this means continuity because you know all the foreign leaders know who they are dealing with and such but that's a bit, little bit too simple because this coalition i talked about the jamaica coalition will be very complicated the liberals are not very fond of a, the idea of a deeper eu they favor the multi-speed europe you know with uh, the different the differentiates between the north core of fiscally disciplined wealthy members and then there's also the rest you know uh, so that's their idea of europe and the green party on the other hand completely rejects a division of europe so you have a very very difficult situation to get to common ground
But mm. in general, the topic of Europe and the EU wasn't even really present in most of the campaigns during the campaigning season. Okay. Aside from certain parties being against the EU, not much talking about that. Sure, some of the posters you saw said something about more Europe and such, but any of that really drowned in domestic topics, especially the refugee topic and the threat of the AFD. But coming back to Macron, so even if Macron held this rousing speech about a new and deeper Europe. There is not much concession, not many concessions Macri can actually give him if she's really in a coalition with the Liberals and the Green Party, even if she wanted to. One so that's that does affect things because the the hope with the election of Macron was that he was very pro-Europe and Merkel was feeling the need to strengthen Europe and not just protect German pensioners, basically, because of the issues of Brexit and the anti-European sentiment. Um, and that once she was confirmed in this election, she would have, you know, her hands free to uh, work with Macron to make things happen. But now it's not going to be the case is what we've been hearing in France and you're confirming yes. it. Yes, but uh, there are two little glimmers of hope, so to speak. Number one, our current finance minister, Wolfgang Schäuble, has agreed to become the next president of the Bundestag, so he won't be part of the next government. And just if you want to know who he is, if you have ever seen one of those news reports about EU negotiations, he's the guy sitting in the wheelchair. So he has always uh, been a very strong a proponent of fiscal responsibility, not much spending and stuff like that. So maybe if he leaves, this might give some room for fiscal changes, depending on who gets to be his successor. But I wouldn't expect any miracles. That's number one. And number two is something you have to consider. Um, we don't have a term limit in Germany, but this will be Merkel's last term as chancellor. That means that uh, this will also be her legacy term. So it will be interesting to see what she wants to be remembered as. And it might just be that she wants to put her name on the EU in some way. I have no idea how she would manage that or if she really wants to. But it's a possibility, especially with issues like Brexit or the structural problems within mm -hmm. the EU. So maybe there might be some change after all. But, okay. Yeah. Yeah, well, we'll see if they manage to do something. Hopefully there is some infrastructure investments um that happens. And I mean, yeah, I'm pro-Europe. So obviously, I would be happy with stuff like that. Uh, one thing I did want to mention, uh, another topic that was heavily discussed was the merger of Alstom and Siemens, where um, two giant uh, industry, basically companies creating, uh, it's, uh, they make railroads and trains mostly uh, in the context of, of Europe. And we were, a lot of people in, in France were unhappy because basically uh, Germany, Siemens retains control of the new newly formed group. And uh, that is frustrating for people in France because they're afraid that uh, that will mean less good conditions for uh, French workers uh, down the line. Uh, but the argument for it is that it creates a giant uh, European conglomerate that can stand up to the other giants in the sector. But uh, yeah, I, I'm just wondering if you've heard about that or if you were too uh, busy with the election, Matthias. No, no, that wasn't in news. That's something uh, now now that the election is over uh, and we're in kind of a limbo between the election and the first coalition talk. So now actually there are some other news. So this actually was reported on. So well. was it like, yay, we got the French 
company or was it we are going to work together? I think it depends on which media you are reading. Some are very happy, but others don't care that much. I think, and especially if you talk to the uh, average voter on the street or the average person on the street, that who doesn't really care? I mean, right. yeah, that's just a merger of some industry. Mm. All right. Okay, well, I think that is going to be it for our show. It was a lengthy one, but uh, hopefully it was interesting. Uh, thank you to both of you for being on. Before we get out of here, would you like to tell people uh, where they can find you in, on the internet, maybe starting with uh, Bruce? Um, I'm on Twitter, Bruce Woodward 3 uh, at, obviously. And um, yeah, that, that's where you find me. And... Otherwise, you'll find me in the north of Scotland, um, <laughs> wearing, a, wearing a parka, trying not to get wet. Yes. Excellent. <laughs> uh, the link will be in the show notes, of course. Uh, Matthias, what about you? Uh, I've been a bit of uh, on a social media diet for the last few weeks because of the election, since it's better for my blood pressure <laughs> if I don't read the petty bickering <laughs> of politicians. But since I'm now, since the election is now over, I slowly return. And if you want to talk to me, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, my handle is at Matsukult, and uh, it will also be in the show notes. So. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I am not Patrick on Twitter, and uh, you can find this show. Oh, and on Facebook uh, as well. And you can find this show at uh, Frenchspin.com, which is the site where I host my English uh, language productions. You can find the French ones at Frenchspin.fr. You can also leave a review on iTunes if you want to do so. It would be very helpful, uh, obviously, wherever you, li you live. Um, just go to iTunes and uh, give us a five-star reviews. That would be awesome. And uh, even more awesome, you could financially contribute to the show you could go to uh, patreon.com slash the phileas club a bunch of people there uh, actually support the show and i am eternally eternally grateful if you think this brings you something if that makes you uh, think a little bit if you think we're doing it the right way unlike many others <laughs> that are doing it the wrong way then uh, maybe think of going to patreon.com slash the phoenix club and uh, sending a couple of bucks our way this is obviously available on uh, the show notes as well uh, and again i would like to remind you to go listen to the episode about venezuela if you haven't uh, it really is a good one i think so thank you for listening and we will be back very shortly bye planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.